Brothers and sisters, welcome Pastor Clark. Pumpkin, where are you? There's Mindy back there. Uh, you, you want to stand up so I can embarrass you? That'd be all right. I've always uh, called her Pumpkin since uh, I met her. She is as sweet as pumpkin pie. She is, and man, she can make pumpkin pie too. That's the reason why I'm not an attractive man, is because <laughs> she is uh, such a good cook. And uh, she knows how to get to my heart, man. It's definitely through my stomach. And uh, I'm telling you, she makes this stew. I just want to tell you about it. She makes this stew. <laughs> And it is, she puts it in the crock pot. Man, that stuff just simmers all day. Man, I'm telling you, it is just delicious. It is so good. And uh, whenever she makes it, man, that, that's the reason why I married her, was for her stew. Man, I'm telling you, it is absolutely delicious. It will change your life. But uh, I was uh, really excited to see Blade up here preaching. Uh, that was, uh, where's Blade at? Where's he? Dude, that was awesome. Man, that makes me... It gets me so fired up uh, whenever I see guys preaching the Word of God and when I see that they're fired up about the Word of God. And, uh, and it, I, I look at you and I think, man, LFBI is working, right? It works. <laughs> if it's kicking out guys like Blade, man, then we are... Uh, man, we're in for a good future. So that is uh, fantastic. And uh, I'm really, and plus his, his name is Blade. <laughs> I noticed that everybody was dancing around that a little bit. But yeah, his name is Blade. Why does this guy not have a blog and a book already? <laughs> I don't know. That's, he should have that. I mean, that's perfect. I think that, uh, no, he's very sharp. Uh, <laughs> you, see, you see what I did there? You see that? And I can't remember the last time I heard someone preach on Samson. Isn't this, hasn't this been awesome so far? Man, Pastor Mark just has been knocking it out of the park. But it's unfair to him because we all expect him to do it at this point. We expect him <laughs> to knock it out of the park because he does it every single time. Every time that he gets up and you can see him, he's making his way up to the pulpit when he's preaching, and you just know that he's just going to, boom, he's going to just convict you all over the place. And, uh, and I, I, th I found out what his secret is. Um, and whenever he's preaching, it's, it's obviously he preaches the Bible, but whenever I'm listening to him, I'm so intimidated by his pectorals. <laughs> that, that I feel like... I feel like I have to repent. I need to repent. I'm telling you, I wish I had him on the street with us in London, because those things are debate stoppers. They, people are like, uh, where's your evidence for this Jesus thing? He's like, this is my evidence right here, pal. In the mouth of two and three witnesses right there. I'm telling you, man, that it's been fantastic. I want to I want to say thank you to Mark for the preaching in all seriousness because it has been so perfect, so perfect, and has been exactly. I was just I came so hungry for the Word of God, I'm so thankful that you guys brought us here. And so every night I'm just like a guy sitting there with a fork and a knife. And I'm just like, man, give it to me. And I'm just gobbling it up. And it's been so wonderful. And uh, partly because I'm carnal. And so I need a lot of preaching. Uh, so uh, that's been wonderful for me. Um, but it's been great for us just to come and be with you guys. You guys have no idea uh, what your steadfastness means to me and my family. Um, the fact that when we're over there and we're doing that and I mean, even the people that we would fellowship with that we would consider good guys, guys that we would say, man, this is a good guy. Um, I mean, they, they believe the Bible, but they're not dispensational. 
they don't have a King James Bible. Uh, they believe in replacement theology, covenant theologians. They're most, most of them are amillennialists and don't even believe in a literal reign of Christ. And, um, and those are the good ones. Those are the good guys where we live. And, uh, oh, and they're Calvinists to boot. So isn't that wonderful? So uh, we all know that uh, uh, Brett is at war with all of them. And so... Uh, <laughs> very excited about that. (laughs) But those are the good guys that we fellowship with. So when we get to come back here and we get to fellowship with you guys, it is such a cool drink of water for our soul. It is wonderful. And so, man, if you guys lose the plot, I mean, if you guys bail out on this thing, we are going to be so pissed. Man. Because we need you guys to stay with the stuff. You guys, <laughs> you guys, I I need you guys in every crowd when I speak, man. You guys are uh, you guys are pretty great. But I need you guys to stay by the stuff because you guys being here is what gives us the confidence to keep going. As uh, the Apostle Paul says in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, For we live if you stand fast. Right? And that's the way we feel. We live if you stand fast. You guys got to stay by it. You got to keep doing what you're doing. Keep producing guys like Blade and the many others that he represents. Uh, Keep... Uh, doing LFBI, keep discipling people as in your churches, and keep using the King James Bible. Don't deviate from that stuff. Keep being dispensational, and um, and keep doing this. Keep getting together. I like how you guys get together all over the United States. You're constantly having a conference. I don't know how anybody gets any work done. There's, <laughs> there's a new conference every week, and it's fantastic, and I hope that you keep doing it, because uh, you guys are preaching the truth. So, Thank you very much, and thank you for bringing our family over. I know I speak for my wife and for our kids. Uh, they get to see their family. They got to see their grandparents. They got to see their great-grandmother at our family reunion. The, kid, the little kids did, and um, that is uh, priceless to us. And so Mindy hasn't been able to really spend time with her family for about three years, and, uh, and so she misses them, and so she got to be with them, and the kids get to get spoiled by their grandparents, and all of that stuff. And so it's been wonderful. Uh, the amount of luggage we take, not so wonderful, because Mindy usually takes about 27 bags with her everywhere she goes. Um, but uh, uh, she, she told me the other day, she's like, listen, we need you to go get the shoes out of uh, the trunk, out of the, uh, the, uh, the car. And I said, okay. I, so I'm thinking I'm going to go out there and grab a pair of shoes. I'm not kidding you. There's a plastic bag like this big, just filled with shoes. And it's all hers. Carrying that thing in like Santa Claus, man. So that's not so great. But the, uh, the coming over here has been just awesome. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart that we love you guys so much. And we, uh, thank you, we, uh, we really do love you. And we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful that you guys have brought us here. And um, I wish that I could get down there and hug all of you until it's inappropriate. I really wish that I could do that. <laughs> We have a special hug in London where we really like to let people know that we love them. You know, we just do the normal bear hug, but then we like to go down for the squeeze, right? And so I wish that, um, I wish that I could do that with all of you. So just know that that's what I'm doing to you in my heart right now. What's that? Okay, Sam told me I need to start preaching, so uh, this is like the old days at Checkpoint, man. (laughs) I'd be up talking at Checkpoint, and Sam would be back there telling me, you're crossing the line, crossing. That's uh, just like the old days, man. Well, okay, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I, I'm, I'm preaching from this because Sam asked me to preach from something that was, had impacted me, that was important to me, and, 
I felt something that really resonated in my life. And the book of 1 Thessalonians has always been kind of a handbook for me as to the kind of minister that I wanted to be. And specifically, chapter 2 is it narrows in on the kind of minister that the Apostle Paul is. And it so happened that it really sinks in with everything that the people have been saying this week so far, uh, that it really shows us about how uh, that our time can be redeemed, about how our time cannot be spent in vain. If you look at the very first verse here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. Now, he's talking about his trip to Thessalonica, of course, and how the gospel came to them. And he says to them, the very first verse, he says, you know that our entrance in unto you, or whenever we came into your lives, when we entered your village and into your world, he says, you know that the time we spent with you was not in vain. And I think that's a very important place to start, because that is what all of us want. All of us want, when we get to the end of our life, we want to be able to look back on our life and to know that our life was not spent in vain. We want to know that the time we spent here on this planet was time well spent, right? That's what all of us want whenever we get to the end of our life. We, we want to know that our life was not wasted, which is why what Mark is instructing us on, what he's teaching us on, is something that all of us should be taking notes voraciously, just writing everything down because we do not want our, our life to be Wasted, And what does this mean, vain, the word vain? And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 21, if you turn there, one of the rules of Bible study is we always allow the Bible to define itself, correct, Bible students? We always allow the, we got like two yeses on that. That was, uh... <laughs> that's good. I love hearing the amens because English people don't amen ever. They don't ever, they just sit there. You don't know if they're with you or not. And you guys are so animated, and I love that. So keep it up. That's uh, refreshing to me. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 21, uh, Samuel tells him right there, he says, I don't want you guys to turn aside unto vain things. And then he defines it for you right there in the verse. He says, these vain things which do not profit, you see that? And do not deliver, and then he tells you, because they are vain. Do you see that in the verse? Please tell me I gave you the right verse, right? It's there? Okay. Okay. So um, it tells you right here what vain means, things that do not profit and do not deliver. And the sad truth is, for most of us and for most people in our lives, we, we spend our life chasing things that do not profit and never deliver. You ever watch those infomercials at like 2 in the morning, Right? And they tell you, man, if you just have this piece of exercise equipment that you can do like under your desk where you just have to do like this all day, you can do that and eat cheesecake all day and you will be so fit, you will have a six pack and everything just by this little piece of machinery or whatever and that's all you got to do, man. And if you just give us all of your money, then we'll give you a set of tapes and then you can flip properties all week and just make millions. Right? And of course, once you get this stuff in the mail, you know, and you've had actually some sleep, and you get this stuff in the mail, you realize that this stuff never delivers on the promise. This stuff is never real. This is just one good rule. Don't ever buy anything off of television, right? If you see something on television, that's our rule at the house. I say, kids, you're allowed to watch television, but you have one simple rule. You just can't believe anything that they say. That's the rule of TV. You can watch it. TV is entertainment. It's not meant for truth. You know? I don't know about you. I'm so tired of inspirational movies. If I see another movie with Sandra Bullock in it, I'm going to throw up. It's not real, you know? It's not real. The movie is supposed to be entertainment. It's not true. The stuff that the world tells us, the TV, that's the devil's pulpit, Right? I sound like one of those old 50s preachers, don't I? I swore I would never sound like that. Look at me. But it's true. It's true. That's the devil's pulpit. I'm telling you, the stuff that they promise, the things that the world promises, you go to the, uh, the newsstand, you look at all the covers of the magazines, and it shows you a picture of someone's heaven on the cover of all of those magazines, and I'm promising you that those things will never deliver They promise you everything, but they will never deliver. And when you get to the end of your life, you want to make sure that you have not turned aside, and I think that's a good choice of words there that really coincides with what Mark is teaching us, where your feet are pointed. Excellent. 
You need to make sure that your feet are not pointed toward vain things. All of us want to get to the end of our life and to know that our time is well spent. We don't want our lives to be empty. We want them to be full of meaning. And I believe that this chapter here, chapter 2, tells us exactly how we can do that. It tells us that if we want our lives to be full of meaning, it basically comes down to one thing, which are two things, which are really not separate, but it is you need to be a, be a disciple and you need to make disciples. I mean, that is your whole life in a nutshell. If you want your life to be a life that matters, if you want to know that your time is always well spent, then you make sure that you are doing those two things, which are really the same thing. It's the Great Commission. To be a disciple and to make disciples. As we've already learned, there are only two things in this world that last forever, right? The Word of God and the souls of people. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to take the one and invest it in the other and to spend your life doing that, to focus yourself and to attend upon the Lord without distraction, to be a disciple and to make disciples. So let's take a look at this real quick, and we'll go through it really quick uh, because, listen, I don't know about you, but I just want to get on to Mark. I want to get on to what he's saying tonight, okay, because I believe that that is where the meat and potatoes are at. And that stuff is going to change your life. And so hopefully I can say something that will benefit you this morning, but we'll go through this quite quick. The first one, in order to make disciples, then you have to be a disciple. This is the first thing. If you want to make disciples, then you have to be disciples. The universe works off of this principle that you always reproduce after your own kind. Capiche? Right? That's how we know that evolution is crap. Because you always reproduce after your own kind. And unfortunately, that's a good thing, right? But unfortunately, it can be a bad thing when it comes to discipleship because you always reproduce the kind of disciple that you are instead of necessarily the one that you ought to to reproduce. You always reproduce the kind of disciple that you are. So be careful what kind of a disciple that you are. Because that is the kind that you will reproduce despite all of your good intentions. You will always reproduce. It's like my kids. And my kids come walking up and I was like, would you like this show? And my son's like, no, that's a bunch of freaking crap. And I'm like, man, where do they learn this stuff? (laughs) It's obviously their mother. So you always reproduce the kind of disciple that you are. And so the, the word I would say that sums up the kind of disciple that we need to be is the word steadfast. We need to be steadfast. And this is something I have learned from my wife. This is what my wife is. She is steadfast. Always. I mean, I am the emotional one. I'm the chick in the family, right? <laughs> I'm the emotional one. She is the rock. And she, uh, man, she is so steady. Uh, whenever I'm like, man, I come up with a new Bible reading plan, she's like, what is it? I'm going to read the Bible today. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good plan, right? She's like, Brian, you're an idiot. <laughs> and my wife, and she'll be just like, you know what? How about, you know, a chapter in the old, chapter in the new, and a psalm. And she'll do that for like 20 years. <laughs> just every day. Every day, just steady, all the time. And I'm learning that this is how you change your life. This is how you change the world, is through steadfastness. We always want to just be go get them and on fire, and that's great. That's great. But what the world really needs What our churches really need are disciples who are steadfast. Man, I'm telling you, if you want to be a blessing to your pastor, just be steadfast. You don't have to have a lot of bells and whistles. Just be there and be faithful all the time. Be be steadfast in two areas primarily. You want to be steadfast in your convictions and you want to be steadfast in your character. Be steadfast in your convictions and steadfast in your character. And forgive me uh, with our time. Forgive me if I go through this quick. But look at this passage here. It tells you, if you look back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 2, 
He says here, he says, now you know our time wasn't spent in vain. Verse 2, he says, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Do you see that? He says to them, he says, now you know the way we were treated in Philippi. You guys know? Have you read it? Acts 16 and 17, you read the story. Do you know how they were treated in Philippi? Everybody said, of course, right? We, we know. We know exactly how they were treated. He went into Philippi, started preaching the gospel, and they took him into the jail, and they started beating him within an inch of his life. And of course, it was unlawful for them to do that because he was a Roman citizen, right? So he was, like he said, he was shamefully entreated. Not only was it bad that he was beaten, but it was against the law. What happened to him was not fair, It was not right by God's standards, and it wasn't even fair by the government's standards. It was completely unfair. It was completely wrong. He was completely mistreated. Now, the thing that amazes me about that is not so much that he got beaten. We expect that to a certain degree. But what amazes me is his response. As he says, you know that we were shamefully entreated. And the next thing he says, he says, we were bold in our God to preach the gospel to you with much contention. So what does this joker do? He gets beat, and he gets up, and he just keeps preaching the gospel. That's amazing. This guy has a conviction in his soul that nobody can shake. Now let me ask you a question. Have have you ever been mistreated? I have. I've been, I've been done wrong a few times. It's always the worst when it comes from your friends, right? That's the time when it really sucks. And you have someone that you invest in, you know, and then they just, they just let you have it with both barrels. And that, man, that hurts, doesn't it? And I'm not saying that it doesn't. But here's what I'm saying, okay? If we try to move on to the point is that in this mission that we have, and this is someone that I, this is a lesson that I learned a long time ago, and I learned it from a friend uh, that uh, at that time was uh, really teaching me some hard lessons. And this is what I learned is, is that in this mission that we're trying to accomplish, where we're trying to be disciples and make disciples of all nations, listen to me now, we cannot afford to be offended. We cannot afford to be offended. You just you have to know that it's going to happen. Your pastor is going to piss you off. He's he's not perfect. Sam's pretty close to it. He's pretty close to it. Alan, he is the Godfather. Man, I love that. Was that Kenny that said? By the way, Kenny is so smooth, isn't he? Man, I'm telling you, that voice of his. Man, when he gets up there like Barry White and just starts preaching, and oh man, I'm just like, oh baby, I'm back there, I'm just like, it's business time now, man, it is business time. I love it when Kenny preaches, because he is so, oh man, he is silky smooth. Where is, where is Kenny? Man, please do not hug me later, because you... Because uh, he, he'll hurt you. But uh, I love it when he preaches. But he called Alan the Godfather because he is, you know. And you have some great pastors. What about, what about Troy, man? Troy Stogsdale? Dude, I'm telling you, man. You got guys like him, guys like Dave Neville that have been in the back just playing. All their life. Every time I see a band in the KC area, Dave's in the back, man. (laughs) You have some wonderful pastors, Chris Best, Chris Miller. These guys are just wonderful ministers of the gospel. You guys have got a wealth, but they're not perfect. And your ministry leaders... Your ministry leaders, your team leaders, are not per- it's going to happen. 
Someone is going to offend you, and here's what I instruct you to do. Here is my therapy for you, okay? Cut it loose. Just cut it loose. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Man, if someone in this group right now has offended you, just cut it the heck loose. Because you want to know at the end of the day what happens? The only thing that, that happens is that less people hear the gospel. That's the only end result of all of that mess, is that less people hear the gospel. Whenever the Apostle Paul got knocked down, he got up and he just kept preaching. He says that he preached it with much contention. That's what he said, with much contention. Now, that Greek word there is the same Greek word that they would use as the root for their Greek boxers. We even use that in the English when we talk about a boxer who was a good contender, right? And that word contention, the root of that is like a boxer. See, that's the way the Apostle Paul sees his life. Now, I don't see my life like that. I see my life like a pleasure cruise, I just kind of float and ooze around from one entertainment to the next. Hey, I'm going to go over here and eat some, and then maybe I'll go over here and eat some more and try to get to the next level in Call of Duty, whatever you're doing, whatever you're... I don't even know if Call of Duty has levels. I don't even know, but... We're just, that's all we do. We go float around from one amusement to the next. And that's the reason why we're so bewildered whenever problems come into our life. We're like, wait a minute, that's not supposed to be there. This is a pleasure cruise. (laughs) It's right there in the title. Pleasure. Cruise. (laughs) It's a cruise of pleasure. There's not supposed to be pain. There's not supposed to be problems. But Paul doesn't see his life like that. He sees his life like a prize fight. That's the way the Apostle Paul sees his life. His life is not a pleasure cruise. It's a prize fight. You guys know what a prize fight is? That's the two guys are wanting to beat the stuffing out of each other, and they lay the money down, and when one guy's left standing, then he takes the prize. Now, when you get into the ring like that, man, can you, you expect to get hit. You expect to get hit. Can you imagine a boxer gets into the ring and boom, he gets tagged. He's like, why did you do that? I don't... What the heck? You don't ever see boxers do that. Because they're ex- that's part of it. That's part of it. They expect to get hit in the face. And that's exactly how the Apostle Paul views his life. He expects to be offended. He expects to be hurt. He expects to be insulted. He expects that he's going to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And so when he does get hit, he gets back up off the mat and he tells everybody, he says, listen, whenever this fight is over, I am going to be the one left standing. And you can do whatever you want to me, but I will never quit preaching the gospel. You can offend me, you can say stuff about me, you can try to beat me and persecute me, but I will continue to preach and to preach and to preach and to preach and to preach until Jesus Christ comes back, and I will not quit for anybody. That is what he is saying here. I preach the gospel with much contention, and you know what? That's the only way the gospel gets preached, is with much contention. You have got to have some convictions You've got to have a conviction that what you're doing and the gospel you're preaching is more important than your feelings. It is more important than you being right. It's more important than your personal justice. It's got to be more important than that. It's got to be the priority. But also you need to be steadfast in your character. If you go down verses 3 through 6... This is the kind of disciple you need to be. (coughs) Verse 3 through 6. He says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, 
nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time we use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Do you see that? I want to say three things about that in his ministry that Paul didn't have is he had no guile, he had no greed, and no glory. That's what he shows there, his type of ministry, the kind of minister that he was. This guy was steadfast, not in just his convictions, but he was steadfast in his character. That whenever he went to preach the gospel to them, he wasn't trying to trick them. He says, the gospel that I got is the one you get. Uh, the Bible that I have, I just preach the Bible. If you have a problem, it's got to be between you and the Bible. I'm not trying to twist the words. I'm not trying to trick you into anything. I'm just going to preach to you the straight truth. There's no guile in anything that I'm saying. I'm not trying to be deceptive. I also have no greed in this. I'm not doing this for my own gain. I'm not using this as a cloak of covetousness, as we see so many preachers do as they get behind this pulpit so that they can deceive people for their own gain. And before we judge Joel Olstein too much, we do this work for our own gain all the time, don't we? And by the way, you should never listen to Joel Olstein. That guy, <laughs> that guy is a freak, man. I tell you, I'm serious. Besides all of his theology, I can't listen to anyone who blinks that much. <laughs> this guy... I feel like I'm going to go into an epileptic fit every time that I watch him preach. That is a clear sign that he is an apostate right there. All the eye blinking. It's driving me crazy. But we do this stuff for our own gain all the time. We do this stuff for, say, man, look at me. You know, all that stuff. The position, the titles, and we do it for ourselves all the time. We do it for our own greed, and we do it for our own glory. And the the Apostle Paul says, listen, we could have been, did you notice that at the end? He says, even when we could have been burdensome unto you as the apostles of Christ. Listen, do you know who the Apostle Paul is? This guy was famous among Jewish people. He was educated by Gamaliel. He was the guy that they chose in Jerusalem to go and to hunt down all the Christians, He was like Jew number one, right? This guy was top of the Pharisees. This guy was the top of his field. He was respected among the Pharisees. Whenever he comes into a synagogue, they're like, yes, please, come to the front and talk. He had carte blanche to come in and talk in these synagogues because he was known and respected among them. His heritage, his education... His stature in both the Jewish and the Greek world, this guy was well-respected. And not only that, but now he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. This guy can heal people. He could raise someone from the dead. He can speak any language. When it comes to the ministry, this guy is Elvis. This guy could have walked in, man, and he could have gotten all the respect in the world and had them pay his way and been treated with VIP treatment and gotten it. And they would have been happy to give it to him. But he never did that. He went out and worked a side job. And said, I'll pay my own way. And he never sought his own glory. He says, I'm just here because I believe in this stuff. And because I believe that living this way honors my father. I pray that the kind of disciples that we are that we would be like Christ. And you know in Philippians 2, you don't have to turn there, you know the verse by heart, that even whenever he was equal with God, he thought it not robber to be equal with God, right? But it says that he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. He took off all of his glory. That's what Jesus was. He was all God without the glory. He was all God without the glory. He took off all of his glory and he made himself into the form of a servant. 
See, that's what it means to labor in love. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means that you are a, a servant. You need to be steadfast in your convictions, and you need to be steadfast in your character. Steadfastness is what we need in disciples, according to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, that you need to be steadfast always abounding in the work of the Lord, right? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not what? In vain. I'm telling you, if you don't want your life to be vain, if you don't want your life to be empty, if you want to know that your life mattered when you get to the end, then I promise you, if you will be a disciple that is steadfast in your convictions, steadfast in your character, then I promise you, your life will not be spent in vain. Okay, the last one. Number two, we'll go through this really fast because I've got like 10 minutes. Number two, you need to not only be a disciple, but you need to make disciples. And this, this passage tells us, again, this is my handbook. I look at this, this is how I want to go about making disciples. Is in these verses, verses 7 through 12. And now we really get down to the, the specifics. The first thing I want you to see as we try to move steadily on is that you need to, first of all, if you want to make disciples, you need to be gentle. Do you see that in verse number 8? you see that? It's, it's wonderful. Complete contrast. Complete contrast in the chapter. At first, man, this guy is just as hard as a coffin nail. He gets knocked down. He gets right back up. He's like, I'm not pleasing men. I'm pleasing God. And I'm just going to go in there. No guile, no greed, no glory. I'm just going to do the work. Man, this guy is just nothing but raw muscle. This guy is made of steel. And then he gets to verse 8, and all of a sudden he's very soft. It totally changes. He says, we were like a, a mother to her children. Do you see how that we were so gentle among you, like a mother to her children? You see, he's, so, he's like steel when it comes to his convictions, but when it comes to people, he's like silk. That's the way you should be. With your convictions, you should be like steel, but with people, you need to be very soft. Be very kind. I, I wish you could see the way Mindy is with our kids. She's so great with them. I remember whenever she f- first kicked Madison out, and uh, we're in the delivery room or in the what they call the theater, and she pushes that puppy out, man. And I'm telling you, and we were in there. We were working a long time on that. I'm yelling at the doctors, get the salad spoons, man. Do something. Pull that baby out. And they finally pull Madison out, and I'm holding her like this, and... And Mindy, you know, she tries to raise up, and she's like, Brian. You know, she's very weak, you know. But what, what does she look like? And I was like, she, well, she looks Chinese, you know. <laughs> what? I, I'm serious. I didn't know if she was going to cry or take over my economy. I mean, she was just like, <laughs> she was just like, China, I mean, and Mindy's like, would you give me the baby? And she's so gentle with the kids. She helps them. She's there at the dinner table with them, working on their schoolwork. And she's the one that's just like, it's going to be okay. And she caresses their hair, you know, and she's so soft with them. And I love that about her. You know what? People need that. People need someone. This is a great way to start. You say, well, I don't know the Bible very well, and I don't know how I can start investing in people. This is one way right here. This one way you can start right now, today, is just be gentle, be kind to people. It's like Christianity 101, right? Be nice. Be kind. Be gentle with people, like a mother to her kids. And it says that the reason why he did that, he says, is because you were so dear unto us. That's a very good English word. We still use that over in London today. The word dear means expensive. Well, I used to go and uh, eat over there, but I don't need more. They raised their prices, and now the meals are quite dear is what they would say. It means expensive. He says, you guys were so expensive to me. You guys were so valuable to me that I wanted to care for you and I wanted to be gentle with you like a mother is with her kids. Man, I'm telling you, that's one way you can start investing in someone's life right now is just to be gentle. But also, and this one seems like out of left field, is you need to be a hard worker. Do you see that in verse number 9? Whenever he says, you saw the way that we labored night and day. Is that verse number nine? Is that right? You saw that, how he labored night and day. I want you to know that when he says that, he's not talking about the ministry. 
Do you see how the verse ends? So that we would not be chargeable unto any of you. He's not talking about laboring night and day in the ministry. He labored night and day at his job so that he could pay his own way so that he could preach the gospel to them. Do you see that? You want to talk about something that makes an impact in someone's life? Be a hard worker. As Christians, we should be the hardest workers at our job. And do we do that because we want to just have this glorious career? Yes. But we don't do it for the career itself. We do it so we can make as much money as we possibly can so that we can tell more people about Jesus. So that you can bring more money and give a tithe to your church and give offerings to your church so that Sam can take that and go and preach the gospel to people all over the world through you guys. That's the reason why we work our job. And we need to be hard workers, working night and day, working our fingers to the bone. Why? So that we can preach the gospel. So that that job can be invested and support the mission. We need to be hard workers. You say, I don't know how that I can make disciples. Man, one way that you can start making disciples is work harder at your job. Get a promotion. Don't let it get in the way of your mission, but be a hard worker. I mean, what kind of disciple are you going to make anyway? You're laying around playing Xbox. You got chip crumbs all over your belly. The wife's constantly, man, get a job, get a job, constantly begging you to work for a living. At least mow the lawn, something. What kind of a disciple are you going to reproduce? But that's not the kind of man that this guy was, that the Apostle Paul was. They saw him. He was working his job night and day so that he could afford to preach the gospel. That's the kind of disciplers we need to be. And I promise you, if we'll do that, then we will have all the resources we need to make this gospel go around the world if we will be hard workers. Also, and then you need to preach the gospel. It's not enough to be gentle. It's not enough to just be a hard worker. You also have to actually speak. And there are loads, and I don't have to preach this to you because we've done that, and you guys have heard this a million times, but there are loads of people out there right now who will talk about the gospel with you, who will listen to the gospel with you, if you will just, what? Ask. Just ask them. Just ask them, would you like to come and have a cup of coffee with me so I can show you what it means to follow Jesus Christ? And they're like, "Um, no. And you're like, well, that's fine. You know, I'm a jerk if I don't ask, right? But what if they say yes? Just ask. It's one of the most obvious things to do that we never consider. Just asking our friend, are you interested in this? They already know we're a Christian. They already know where we're headed. We're all the time trying to weasel it into the conversation, you know. (laughs) They know what you're about. Hopefully, if your faith is real, it's just all over you. They know what you're about. Just ask them. Dude, would you like to talk about this? I just want to know. What, you know, I'd love to sit down and show you what it means. And then you open up the Bible and you share the gospel with them. And I promise you, you do that on a consistent basis, you'll see people get saved. This is the way we can start making disciples, is we can be gentle We can be hard workers at our jobs, but we can preach the gospel to people. You've got to open your mouths. You know, just being a nice guy. I've met a lot of Buddhists that were nice guys. Your actions are not enough. They have to be coupled with your words. And when those two come together, then they form a message that comes with power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance, just as the manner of Paul was in Thessalonica. When your actions and your words come together, that is a powerful message That is hard to deny, but you've got to preach. But also, lastly, uh, you've got to be a godly example. You've got to be a godly example. This is one of the things that we need in our life is a godly example. This is where your discipleship, getting down to those lessons and those times together, really starts to take shape is you've got to be a godly example. That's why I love having guys like Sam in my life. Because it's one thing for me to read the Gospels and me to see what Jesus looked like 2,000 years ago, and that's wonderful, and that's, that's powerful. But then I get to look at Sam, and I get to see, okay, see, that's what it looks like today. That's an example that I can follow. That's the reason why the Apostle Paul says, you need to follow me as I follow Christ. Because we need an example. You want to know what people need almost more than anything 
is a godly example. I just came back from Bogota where I was hanging out with Rudy, uh, the pastor of the church down there. Let me tell you, this guy just has the Holy Spirit just oozing off of him. It just kind of just radiates off of the guy. And I just love being close to God. Don't you love being close to guys like that? Man, why don't you be that for someone else? Be that guy that takes that Nazarite vow and just says, you know what, I'm going to cut it all loose and I'm going to be a godly man for Jesus Christ. And then, see, when you have all that, then you're able, as he said, we were like a father to his sons. We taught you the word of God. We taught you how to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when you can teach. You can teach someone those lessons. Whenever you've been gentle and they see that you're a hard worker and they see that you preach the gospel and they see that you're a godly example and then you teach those lessons, man, and the magic happens. That's when people's lives are transformed. I'm telling you guys, if you will invest your life into this and in this alone, I promise you when you get to the end of your life, your life will not have been spent in vain. I'll tell you one story, and then we'll be done. Uh, my daughter, Madison, to me, is the perfect example of this. Uh, she is a great conviction to me, and she's also a source of great joy. And my daughter, Madison, she's only 14 years old, and she is such a soul winner. She comes out on the street with me, and she talks to more people than I do. And she can open up her Bible and she can share the gospel with someone like any of us can. But more importantly, in her personal circles, she loves to come out there. We put on our stupid T-shirts, right? And we go out there and we share the gospel with people. And that's cool. And she's great at that. They're actually not stupid T-shirts. I love those freaking things. But uh, <laughs> we go out there and it's, it's fun. But in her personal circles at school and where she goes to school... You guys know what it was like in high school. You guys remember what that was like? Anybody say amen to that? Amen. Some of you, that wasn't that long ago. For me, that was like, I like have to look through pictures to remember. It was a long time ago. But you guys remember what high school was like. And where she goes to high school, uh, it's no easy place to share the gospel. I mean, she gets told on a regular basis that there's no God. They get taught in their assemblies that in no uncertain terms that it is uh, intellectually right to be an atheist. She gets told all the time that she should be a lesbian, that they should give it a go, give it a try, how it's right to be a lesbian, and there's nothing wrong with that. She goes to an all-girls school, so they focus on the lesbian stuff, right? And so she gets taught that stuff all the time. It's constantly being bombarded on those kids. And in the midst of all of that, she is so bold to preach the gospel to her classmates, and she's been working on her little circle of friends for about three years. One of them was a very typical white English girl who thought she was a Christian, and when Madison gave her the gospel, realized that she wasn't, so she didn't like Madison then after that because she was very mad at her. All of her friends, in fact, told her, you need to stop talking about Jesus so much. She was developing a reputation, and her friends didn't like to talk to her sometimes, and I would get upset. My heart would get broken, and I would call her from wherever country I was in, and I would call her and say, Madison, are you okay? You know what she would tell me? She'd say, Dad, she said, Dad it's all right. She said, I would rather my friends be mad at me and know the truth than for them to like me and to not know it. She said, Dad, don't worry. This is all part of God's plan. And I'm like, when did I turn into the teenage girl in this relationship? <laughs> And she told me, she says, what I'm going to do, Dad, is I'm going to change tactics. She says, now I'm going to try to get them off by themselves, one-on-one, instead of talking to them in the group. She said, that's my new plan. So that's what she did. She'd bring them to the house. She'd take them to church. She'd do whatever she could to get them alone. And she would talk to them about Jesus Christ. And uh, that typical white English girl, uh, she led her to Christ. And um, uh, she eventually came to see. She got found this pamphlet from her dad, who happens to go to church or parents are split up, but she got this pamphlet, and she saw that everything that Madison had been teaching her for years was true, and she bowed her head and received Jesus Christ, and she came and told Madison, and not only did she tell Madison, but she's like, now we need to put together a plan how we can tell other people, (laughs) 
And one of the other girls, one of the other girls she's been working on is, uh, comes from a devout Muslim family. Her father is a diplomat from uh, a country that I won't say, and uh, um, he comes there and he is very devout. And she told Matthew, I, I believe what you're saying, but I'm afraid if I convert that my father will beat me or will throw me out of the house. And Madison continued and continued and continued to talk with her. And just about a month ago, she bowed in our living room and received Jesus Christ. And just before her father moved her back to their home country. And so Madison led her to the Lord, I mean, literally within a month of having not another opportunity. And Madison worked for like three years on these young ladies. And the reason why she does that is because she believes that her life is here for one reason, and that is to be a disciple and to make disciples. And when we get back, first first week in September, we're going to baptize Gemma, the girl that's still there and uh, that she's led to Christ, and she's already told me how that she has a plan for the other girls in the the group. Uh, The two other girls are very devout atheists, and she took them with her to church camp, this little church camp, and she says it's going to be awesome. She says, because they know it's a church camp, but they don't really know just how churchy it's going to (laughs) be. And and she says, it's going to be great, because when I get them there, then they can't go anywhere. And and I'm going to... So she worked on them so hard, and one of them has agreed to meet with her one-on-one. And she hasn't accepted Christ yet, but um, Madison has a plan. Let me ask you, do you have a plan? I guarantee you, if you get to the end of your life like that, then your life will not have been wasted. Be a disciple. Be steadfast in your convictions and your character. And then go and make disciples. Be gentle. Be a godly example. Preach the gospel. Be a hard worker. And then teach people how to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I promise you that is a life that is not spent in vain. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much. For your word. I pray that you would help us, Lord, by your grace, Lord, help us to be disciples and to make disciples for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.